Today's children are growing up in a world where what used to be wrong is now considered right, and vice versa. Where what used to be good is now considered evil, and vice versa. Where truth is no longer absolute and objective, but relative and subjective. Consequently, what was commonly thought to be ugly can now be viewed as beautiful. It's a world where lies are thought to be acceptable, but only to those who tell them. So when trying to explain all this to our kids, how do we make sense of a world that makes no sense? Do we have the right to teach our children anything if we can't even determine whether they truly are male or female, or perhaps both at the same time? Have we created an Orwellian dystopian society that makes it impossible to raise our children to become what used to be called normal? And this word normal itself, is it even a bad word these days? Is the word bad a bad word? Well, without a rock-solid starting point as basic and simple as the gender binary, we parents have nothing meaningful to teach our kids for which they can't legitimately respond, that's just your opinion, mom or dad. Well, before you hide away in the storm cellar waiting for the storm to blow over, there is truth that transcends our mere opinions. And it's never more evident than when we're distinguishing between boys and girls. So come on out, it's time for License to Parent. Well, hello and welcome to Storm Central, better known as Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Shepherds Hill is a year-long Christ-centered therapeutic residential program for teens in crisis and, by extension, for their families. Our host is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherds Hill, and I'm the friendly weatherman standing safely in front of the green screen, Rich Rosal. And Trace, I know this subject of sexuality, particularly as it relates to the LGBTQ agenda, and the legitimacy of the gender binary has come up a lot in recent times on License to Parent. But this is one of those things that you see as fundamental to raising not just healthy kids and families, but it's equally important when building and maintaining civil societies, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I absolutely believe that. And uh, I think that all of human history backs me up on this. Uh, but it's not just for building and maintaining our civil societies, uh, but for our uh, prosperity as well. Yet it's kind of a vicious cycle. I mean, you, you can't have civil society without an understanding and respect for the importance and health of the traditional family. Sure. And it's much harder to raise healthy families in a society that's uncivilized, especially when digital technology is being used in the hands of virtually everyone, adults and kids alike, to promote incivility, immorality, and cultural and political anarchy. And, uh, you know, as I drive home nearly uh, every week on, on this broadcast, uh, all of it, uh, including the transgender issues we'll be discussing today, has its root in the illogical, nonsensical, and unscientific postmodern worldview that so many people are being eaten up with today and have been since the 1960s. Yeah. God never called us to be PhDs in biology, medicine, or uh, psychology for that matter, to be a good parent or to be able to determine uh, the distinguishing differences between a male and a female, for crying out loud. Uh, this transgender nonsense is breaking down the very fundamentals of, of what it means to be anything, including what it means to be human or, or male or female. If we can't figure that simple thing out, how in the world will we ever move on to the more complicated issues of raising kids? Uh, but, you know, I'm just astonished, Rich, at, at the number of Christian people who are buying into all this. I mean, Hitler's Nazis were wrong just about everything. But... When they said, if you tell a big enough lie long enough, people will believe it, they were spot on. 
So we want to tell people the truth about this whole transgender debacle, and I think today's guest is another brave soul to help us do that. Yeah. Well, we're going to hope that if you tell a big enough truth long enough, Amen. people will eventually believe that. Well, let me introduce our guest and bring him into our conversation. Dr. Ryan T. Anderson has accepted the challenge and um, is here to do just what we're talking about. He is the William E. Simon Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He's the founder and editor of Public Discourse, the online journal of the Witherspoon Institute. He's also the author of a book that we are excited to talk about today called When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement. He's also the author of Truth Overruled, The Future of Marriage and Religious Freedom. And he's the co-author of What is Marriage? Anderson's research has been cited now by two U.S. Supreme Court justices, Justice Samuel Alito and Justice Clarence Thomas, in two separate Supreme Court cases. He received his bachelor's degree from Princeton, graduated Phi Beta Kappa and Magna Cum Laude, and he received his doctoral degree in political philosophy from Notre Dame. He's made appearances on all the major networks. His work has been widely published by the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and many more. Uh, you'll find him on Twitter at Ryan T. And, and his latest essays and videos are available on his public Facebook page. Well, Ryan, welcome to License to Parent. Thanks for having me. Happy to be with you. Listen, congratulations on the book. Did a uh, great job. Um, there, there seems to be a whole new approach to science with uh, LGBTQ whatever issues, but particularly on this issue of transgender. It's kind of like J.R.R. Tolkien or J.K. Rowling came up with it all. How did this happen, and, and why do so many otherwise credible doctors, scientists, and educators why are they just rolling right along with this stuff? Yeah, that, 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 that is the, uh, that's the big question right now. Yeah. And to the best of my ability, I, I think the reason that we're seeing this transgender moment in our culture right now uh, is for three reasons. Um, the first is that this is the most recent iteration or outgrowth of the sexual revolution. Yeah. Um, so we're just seeing 50 years after the fact, this is the 1960s, mm-hmm. working out its logic. And so it started with, The hookup culture in the 60s extends through the rise of cohabitation, the introduction of no-fault divorce laws, non-marital childbearing, the increase in the rates of divorce, you know, 40, 50% of marriages ending in divorce, the legal redefinition of marriage, and now we're seeing the cultural redefinition of sex and gender. Uh, So part of it is is ideology. Uh, This is taking place because... Right. I mean, you, you took the words out of my mouth because all of that is a logical outworking of the postmodern thought that took root in the 1960s. You know, the, this relativism that, you know, my truth is as good as your truth. That's just your opinion. Uh, feels good, do it. Do your own thing. Th- that's all really where it's, it started, correct? Yeah, and, and, and that's one of the three. I mean, so part of it is bad ideology, but it's not just that. There's also new technology, mm-hmm. and so we can't downplay the role of technology, exactly. especially on the transgender question. We've always had people who felt uncomfortable in their own body. Mm-hmm. And historically, the way that we responded, we responded in compassion with love. You know, what could we do to help people feel comfortable in their own body? Well, there's an objective standard back then that everyone accepted. And then people couldn't compare notes on social media with how they felt and then justifying with every uh, perversion under the sun from people around the globe to make this small problem look like a big one. Yeah, um, so partly you can see it's social media technology, but it's also things as simple as synthetic testosterone and synthetic estrogen 
uh, didn't exist a hundred years ago. Right. right? The, the, the idea that you could give a teenage girl testosterone to masculinize her body simply wasn't even a technological possibility right. until recently. And so when you see the increase in reassignment therapies, the hormone therapy, the puberty blocking drugs, the surgeries, this didn't even, this wasn't even a possibility until recently. And so when you combine bad ideology with new technology, Mm -hmm. um, that's going to get you part of the way there. Perfect storm. And and the medical technology uh, that you sort of alluded to there, there were sex change operations that were going on back in the 60s, but very few and not nearly as successful as they seem to be now. So, yeah, what, what you can do with a scalpel is, is amazing these days. And pardon the way I say this, but in the, in the way that people would have said it back then, those people were freaks, okay? And, and now it's normalized. What is totally uh, abnormal is now normalized, and even uh, in the case of a lot of young people, hailed as, as a badge of honor in many cases. So you, you've got this... this this ideology that's being perpetuated on our, on our young, impressionable kids, and they're running with it, and the older people are, and the professionals, the mental health professionals, the medical field, the educators, are, are falling right in line with it. And I, I, for the life of me, I can't understand it. Yeah, so um, two thoughts on that. One, that back then, the, the idea would have been, you know, these are tragic situations where people are trying to make the best of a bad situation. We might disagree with them, but they're trying to do the best, whereas today they're being upheld as heroes, as role models. Right, exactly. Um, so so the, the distinction would be, this is a really bad situation, they're trying to make the best of it, but you know, we wouldn't want to promote this to today. Primetime TV shows, um, documentaries on cable, um, a Woman of the Year award, right? This is now being upheld. Uh, and I think one of the big differences here, and this is kind of like the third um, and, the, and the final like, historical explanation is that political power has now been attached to the ideology and the technology. Um, right. The T in LGBT had largely been ignored until the Obama administration signed up and started advancing uh, transgender ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, most people knew the acronym had all those letters. They had no idea what the T meant. It wasn't a major issue until a political party uh, took up that cause and started imposing it on local communities. Mm-hmm. Well, then you got organizations like the APA, and you know I, I belong to an organization called NATSAP, National Association of Therapeutic Schools and Programs, and th- these are the movers and the shakers of the mental health field. And uh, the problem is, is p- what people don't realize, there are a lot of people within these industries and these organizations who are struggling with these very issues themselves or know someone who, who is struggling. Maybe it's their own kids. And, or, but I've, I've seen transgender therapists, and it's kind of like, well, you know, I don't want to be labeled mentally ill, so consequently, and I also want my books published, and I want my articles published, and I don't want to be blackballed uh, with my peers. The LGBT lobbyists are huge and, and strong, and we don't want to tick anybody off, and the entertainment industry is full of them, and I'm going to lose my career if I, if I uh, say that the emperor has no clothes. What can you say to our listeners, to our parents, to professionals listening to this broadcast that would encourage them to speak out and be that little boy who says the emperor isn't wearing any clothes here? Yeah, that's perfect because some of the physicians that are going along with this aren't just going along with it. They're actually the ones pushing it, <laughs> yeah. um, either because they have a personal uh, vested interest or they have an ideological vested interest. Frequently, the 
the people who are writing the official guidelines and recommendations are the actual ideologues and activists. And then the other group of people are the people who have been um, cowed into silence. Exactly. Uh, people who are afraid to speak out. But thankfully, increasingly, more and more physicians are willing to speak out. Um, I've been able to host some events at the Heritage Foundation uh, with physicians speaking out, with radical feminists speaking out, even with lesbians speaking out, saying that the LGB and the T part of the acronym are different. Yeah. Um, in, in the book, I mean, just to give you an idea of what the science actually shows, in the book, I quote kind of chapter and verse of study after study, even Obama administration governmental reports pointing out that sex reassignment procedures have a host of negative consequences. They don't adequately resolve the underlying struggles, the underlying uh, tensions, the underlying psychosocial problems. Um, and, and what we need to do is, is, is to create a, a, a platform for more and more physicians, more and more therapists, more and more endocrinologists, more and more pediatricians to feel comfortable and confident that they can speak out. Well, I'll tell you what, you're, I'm not a doctor, but uh, I have doctors or therapists that work for me. And I can tell you what, when I go to these organizations, I'm one in, in a room of 200 that do speak out. And, and I've given kind of a, an open door for others to speak out as well. And they'll pull me aside in the hall and say, hey, I'm glad you said something. I'm like, why didn't you say something? I mean, you, this is insanity. Uh, but but yeah. the problem is, is courage. We, courage is contagious. It is. That's one thing. Every time you speak up, you're giving someone else the encouragement that that person needs to have the courage to then speak out. And, and that's partly why I wrote the book. Right? Partly we need the knowledge. Right, exactly. Need to know the facts, the truth, so that they can speak out. And then other people will speak out. Right. And I thank you so much for that, too, because more of the laymen need the information that you have in this book, and uh, it will help them fuel uh, their argument and give them the courage to speak out. If you've just joined us, we're talking today on Licensed to Parent with Dr. Ryan T. Anderson. He's a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation and is the founder and editor of Public Discourse, the online journal of the Witherspoon Institute of Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, we're discussing his book, When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement. You can find that book on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. You can learn more about the Heritage Foundation at heritage.org. And we'll be back with more with Ryan Anderson right after this on Licensed to Parent. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by screens. Have we entered into a techno-utopia or a virtual prison? Prison. Is our social experience richer and deeper or more shallow and artificial? Discover insightful answers to these questions in the documentary DVD, Captivated, Finding Freedom in a Media Captive Culture. You'll learn from media experts, church leaders, and inspiring individuals and families from across the country, including Trace Embry and students from Shepherds Hill Academy. Most importantly, you'll discover how God's Word addresses the unique media challenges we face today. Captivated, finding freedom in a media-captive culture. Available in the store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds benefit the Shepherds Hill Academy Scholarship Fund. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. 
Shepherd's Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherd's Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherd's Hill Ministries and licensed to parent to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. You're listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, where you'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. Again, remember, if you'd like to listen to this program again or perhaps check out some past conversations we've had, you'll find them on our website, licensedtoparent.org. And today we're talking with Ryan T. Anderson. He's the Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation and also author of the book we're talking about, When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement. Ryan, uh, we talked about heroes uh, before the break. Uh, what kind of discussion should parents be having with their kids about a guy like Bruce Jenner being called a hero uh, by so many in the media? Yeah, I think that the, there, there are two things that parents need to stress to children. The first is that um, growing up is hard. Um, going through kind of like the maturation process is difficult. People will have struggles. And we need to be compassionate and tolerant towards, you know, classmates, friends, families who might be having struggles with their gender identity. But then the second thing is just because you have a gender identity conflict does not mean that you're actually the opposite sex. Right. Um, that, that someone who feels uncomfortable being a boy, or someone who feels uncomfortable being a girl, that doesn't mean that they're actually a girl trapped in a boy's body or a boy trapped in a girl's body. Uh, what it frequently means is that they need to develop a more authentic, mature understanding of what it means to be a boy or a girl. I mean, that frequently it's because of bad stereotypes, you know, where all boys need to like G.I. Joe and right. all girls need to like Barbie. And then if you're the boy that doesn't like G.I. Joe or you're the girl that doesn't like Barbie, you might think, oh, no, maybe I'm not really a boy, not really a girl. Yeah. And so I think it's those two messages. The one hand, we need to be compassionate, loving uh, towards people struggling with this. But on the other hand, um, sex isn't merely assigned to us at birth. Sex can't be reassigned later in life. Mm-hmm. The problem's not with your body. Uh, the problem's with your thoughts and your feelings. And we can help your thoughts and your feelings come into contact with reality. That's what the whole um, maturation process is about, right? Getting a more nuanced, robust, mature understanding of these of these concepts. Well, right. When and why did science agree to take empirical evidence out of the equation with respect to transgender issues? Because isn't that what has been done? Um, to, to, to a certain extent, among the activists who are writing the professional recommendations. And here, you, I mean, what's really important for the listeners to understand is that when you see something like um, uh, the, the, the APA issues a statement on children with gender dysphoria, that does not mean that it's the rank-and-file members of the American Psychological Association. Uh, this means that it was the activists, possibly as little as 20 of them, 
who were the heads of the subcommittee on gender dysphoria and children, who wrote those guidelines. And then they went through the executive committee and then they were passed without ordinary physicians ever really having a say. Um, and more and more physicians are speaking out about this. And so what you see is that there are many evidence-based, um, uh, reality-based physicians who are practicing good medicine, but then there are some activists and ideologues who are kind of capturing the positions of power within these professional organizations who are promoting um, ideologically um, driven uh, guidelines. Mm-hmm. Well, I looked up the word cisgender in my 2001 Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary 10th edition. Uh, it's nowhere to be found. Uh, so I assume it's it's another made-up term to promote this this agenda. Uh, do I have the right to object to someone calling me cisgender without acknowledging that I'm just a normal man who doesn't need an additional label made made up by the LGBT community? Well, I don't know if we want if we want to use the right to object to them. I mean, to a certain extent, they can say whatever they want to say, but you don't have to agree with it, and you certainly don't have to promote that type of ideologically driven language to the students and the children that you work with. Because yeah. the whole idea of saying that you're cisgender is to make it seem that transgender and cisgender are somehow functionally equivalent. That's my point. And that we all have a gender identity. Am I capitulating Um, to their ideology by accepting that that term, uh, the the term that has just recently come to to light? um, I'm not interested that much in policing how other people speak. So if other people want to use bad terminology, that's their business. I just don't want people to force me to speak contrary to the truth, and I don't want to encourage uh, the people who I have a responsibility uh, for to speak contrary to the truth. So I, I guess all I'm saying there is that to a certain extent, other people are going to speak how they want to, but we don't have to go along mm-hmm. with ideological language, and we should push back on it. For, yeah, for younger parents in the audience, and I'm talking about parents who themselves may be in their 20s or, or early 30s, they grew up hearing some of the confusion and some of the languages. I remember as a kid, though, uh, first of all, I had I had a friend, he's a good friend now, who as a, a young boy, as a teenager, he thought he was gay. Now, he didn't think he was homosexual, but the term gay was kind of coming out, and he was a guy who didn't particularly like sports. He was into drama and music and, and uh, you know, just the, the non-traditional male interests, and he thought, because, his, you know, other friends use these terms— he thought he must be gay. So there, there was a labeling thing that people grew up with that, that created all sorts of problems. But also little boys, for example, you know, at a very young age are, are at a point where they can't stand girls. They only like boys. And then they grow up and as teenagers usually only like girls. You know, it, it goes back and forth. But I, I'm just thinking for the younger parents who, who maybe haven't heard all of this stuff from the, the pre-postmodern era, how can they best raise their little kids through all of this to let them know that, you know what, if you like playing with trucks, that's fine. If you like playing with dolls that aren't G.I. Joe's son, that's okay, too. These are just things that you enjoy doing. They don't define your sexuality. How, how do parents address that with young kids? Well, I think you just gave them great advice in what you said. I mean, to a certain extent, it's giving your child the space and the freedom to be themselves without attaching labels to it. Thank you. Um, There was a great essay written about a decade ago by Justice Scalia's son, uh, Paul Scalia, that was titled A Label That Sticks. 
And he said that, you know, the worst thing in the world is to encourage a young person to adopt the label of LGBT, because once you adopt that label, it's one of those labels that sticks in the way of saying, oh, I'm an athlete or I'm a musician or I'm this, that, and everything. You know, kids grow in and grow out of those interests and those identities. This was one that, you know, will stick with them because, you know, a whole worldview gets attached to it. I think the best advice uh, for parents on this is just let your kids be themselves yep. Yep. Uh, without Absolutely. them thinking that this therefore means that they fit into some uh, box that postmodernists have defined them as. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think, am I right or wrong in saying that, you know, there's a continuum in, in maleness. There's a continuum in femaleness. My wife still holds track records for, for tracks. She was a tomboy, uh, but there couldn't be a more feminine <laughs> A beautiful female species in the world, and my wife. Uh, am I wrong in saying that, you know, uh, as a male, I can still be an artist or a figure skater or, or you know, uh, or a hairdresser? Uh, I'm still a male. And in the continuum on the other end of that might be that G.I. Joe guy you were talking about. Does and, and that your, make more sense? And your interest on that continuum will move yeah, we'll over move. life. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I would say that being male or being female. Um, those aren't a continuum. Those are actually binary. Right. Like someone is a male or is a female. But the way that we express our masculinity, That's the way that we at. express our femininity, those exist alongside. Yeah, there's a continuum and within so each, is my point. There's a gender binary with a continuum within each, as far as the the outward uh, interests with or displays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because th- th- this distinction is really important because the activists on, on the left want to say that our very being exist along a spectrum. Yeah, like earthworms or fluid. But we want to say, no, I mean, like, in terms of our being, we are a male or we are a female. But in terms of how we express our being, those things exist along continuum. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with that. So when 80 to over 90% of kids come out of this, if parents will just be strong enough uh, and allow their kids to endure puberty, why are so many parents choosing the longer, tougher, and more delusional road? Um, sometimes it's because they've bought into the ideology themselves. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's because they just don't know any better. Yeah. Uh, imagine how tragic the situation is if you have a child with gender dysphoria, and when you go to the professional, the advice that you're given is your child will commit suicide unless you put them on puberty blocker drugs or unless you put them on um, estrogen or testosterone. Mm-hmm. Many of these parents are just stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Uh, and they're just doing what they are told by the experts is best for their kids. And unfortunately, the experts seem to be influencing most of the uh, the people with the platforms and, and the biggest platforms and a lot of microphones. And it's filtering down to uh, to the common person, and they're buying into this stuff. And and we're shouting out against it. I just want you to know we're on your team, which is which is why we had you on here to to help um, affirm this. Well, Ryan, I've got a, a million questions left here to ask you, but we're out of time. Um, Thank you so much for, for being yeah, with thanks us. Thanks for being a part of Licensed to Parent. We appreciate it. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. Our guest once again on Licensed to Parent, Dr. Ryan T. Anderson, a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation and the founder and editor of Public Discourse, the online journal of the Witherspoon Institute of Princeton, New Jersey. And, of course, we've been talking about his book, When Harry Became Sally. I love the title, Responding to the Transgender Movement. Uh, you can find that book at Amazon or wherever you buy your books, and you can learn more about the Heritage Foundation at www.heritage.org. 
And that does wrap up another edition of Licensed to Parent. We hope that you find the program beneficial, and not only that, that you'll tell others about us. If you've missed a past program, if you'd like to listen to this one again or share it with a friend, you'll find it online at LicensedToParent.org. Our technical producer on Licensed to Parent is Carl Peets. Our guest coordinator is Daniel Fazina. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to tell a fellow parent about us and then join us again next time to renew your license to parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.